Welcome back to the Fourth Way Podcast. Today we are continuing our discussion on incarnation. We just got finished talking about the various ways in which we can become incarnators for others. Through proximity, position, experience, and decision. Before getting into the incarnation of Jesus and the implications for our lives, I want to cover one more aspect of the incarnation. I call this aspect reverse incarnation. The concept of reverse incarnation is pretty simple. Incarnating to others is great, but it fails to provide any ultimate hope in and of itself. As an example, consider this analogy. You're drowning in the sea and a rescue helicopter comes to save you. A person jumps down into the water with you and the helicopter flies away. You ask what's going on, what the plan is, and the rescuer tells you that she's there to spend the last few hours of your life dying with you. You're not being rescued, you're being accompanied to death. Now, it might be slightly less terrifying or boring to waste away alone, but it's ultimately not that different than if you just died by yourself. You can appreciate your so-called rescuer's sacrifice, but the sacrifice seems pretty pointless for her to leave her safety just to die with you without doing you any good. Now, what needs to happen to change this situation? Well, perhaps the rescuer drops into the water with a life raft or flotation device and a beacon with the promise of a rescue boat arriving soon. Or maybe the rescuer is tethered to a rope so that when she gets into the water, she can lift the victim up to safety. The incarnation is only good if it is tethered to some immediate or future hope. The rescuer coming down to you is only a good incarnation if they carry with them the promise of bringing you back up to where they incarnated from. The church seems to get this fairly well when it comes to Jesus. Jesus came down to us, but he lived a holy life in order that we might one day live with him. He incarnated not to simply die like us, but to save us from our sins. He provided the immediate hope of the kingdom life now, as well as the future hope of living in the presence of God for eternity. Because of our future hope, we're able to live out the kingdom now. I can forego vengeance because I know that God will ultimately bring about justice, and I can embrace poverty because I know that God provides and will ultimately provide wonderful sustenance for, for my soul for, uh, for all eternity. And that all came about because Jesus lived a perfect life and didn't sin. That's the only way that he was able to be, um, to be a savior for me. However, where my group goes wrong is in our failure to recognize that our incarnation is to be the same thing or a similar type of thing. I talked about this a little bit in the consequentialism series, particularly in the rebuttal section. When I discussed the importance of holiness and living out the kingdom ideal, it wasn't because I I thought God is like Santa sitting up in heaven with a checklist for each of us. I'm not concerned with conveying a bunch of rules to other people. What I am concerned about is living a life that shows others that we are free from having to compromise. I don't have to kill babies ever to save the life of another group of humans, whether that's through abortion um, because I don't think I can provide for a kid or whether that's in aborting an ectopic pregnancy uh, or whether that's on a mash bus you know, uh, trying to save 50 lives from the North Koreans. I don't have to choose to kill a baby to save other people's lives. I don't have to lie to my enemies and set myself in opposition to the kingdom of God which is a kingdom of truth. I can live free now 
because Jesus, by his example and promise of true power, freed me from being tied to my life and immediate results. And his promise of future hope frees me from even concerning myself with my own life. So no, I am not advocating some set of rules. I'm advocating a freedom to always choose what is good, to order your loves always correctly, to do that which is most like God, because we've seen what that's like in the person of Jesus, and we desire relationship and conformity with him. And that's our job as the church. We are to be an alternative kingdom for those trapped in the world, for those living in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But my group has been so focused on political effectiveness the past decade or two, at least, we've been willing to compromise on all sorts of morals and standards to do so. We've been so concerned about being in the world and incarnating to it, or put another way, being relevant and effective, that we've dismissed the principle of reverse incarnation. We've thrown off being a royal and distinct priesthood and nation to which others can enter and to which others want to enter. The church is intended to be the incarnation of Jesus in the world, his hands and his feet. Yet that incarnation does no good if there is no reverse incarnation. If we've cut the tether to the rescue chopper, we're just drowning like everyone else. We're not providing them any hope. Now all in all, this concept isn't extremely profound, but it's often overlooked. Somehow we think that Jesus had to maintain his holiness in order to be effective, but Holiness isn't really on the table for us. It's not something that we, we concern ourselves with. And in my denomination, in my circles, that, that's probably uh, even worse to a certain extent because we kind of glory in our depravity and, and talking about how bad we are because you know, of, of our sinfulness. And while that's true to an extent that, yeah, we're, we're sinners, um, it is God's will for us that we live sanctified, a set-apart life. And because we are indwelt by the Spirit— we do have the hope that we can do what is right. And while we will fail and we will need to repent, um, we should live lives that are very distinct from the world. I get, I get the flip side of that where it, it can sound, um, you know, we want to often avoid legalism and tying our effectiveness as the church to our works sounds kind of scary. I get that, but if you read the New Testament without concluding that our lives should be radically transformed and we should be bearing fruit with a continual trajectory upward, then we're not reading the same Bible. It talks a lot about works and our transformation. Um, and it also talks about being empowered by God to do those things. But we need distinct lives for sure. If we're not living holy lives and repenting when our lives aren't holy, then we aren't doing the world any good. We're just drowning with them. That's all for now. So peace, and because I'm a pacifist, when I say it, I mean it.